In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, Arizona, talks with pastors and leaders as they share their testimonials about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Welcome to The Kingdom and Its Stories. This is Bob Moffat, and I'm on the line with Josh Prather, who's pastor of Community and Global Missions and Outreach uh, at one of the larger churches here in Phoenix, Arizona, called Redemption. And Redemption has 10 congregations, and Josh is one of the pastors, the missions pastor of of those congregations. Josh, welcome. Glad to have you with us this morning. Bob, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're you're more than welcome. And um, in in our Tales of the Kingdom program, we're trying to get as many ideas as we possibly can for how— we can equip our people to be the hands and feet of Jesus in their home, in their neighborhood, and in their communities. And so, Josh, let me let me begin by just asking you, what what was your personal journey in terms of coming to the position where you're really interested in equipping God's people in this way? Yeah, I think my personal journey... Uh... It goes all the way back to childhood. I was raised in the church, but never really uh, confessed Jesus as Lord. You know what I mean by that? As I said, the prayer, if you grew up in uh, the American Evangelical Church, there's a uh, there's an emphasis on uh, saying the prayer, receiving Jesus as Savior, and I did that a number of times as a kid, but never really submitted my life to Him. Um, but that happened in college through a number of different things. And, you know, you found, I found myself in a place of uh, wilderness community, you know, with just me and Jesus, walking with him, which was beautiful, and trying to uh, submit to him as Lord in college. And then as I gradually started to grow in my faith, I think in reading the Bible, God really started to speak to me about nations and about the margins. And uh, although it is abundantly clear, and I think we see that pretty obviously in Jesus' ministry, and it's a call to the whole church, I think there's a special calling God has for me at that point in time to really mm. move me in that direction. Mm-hmm. There's no sense of being a pastor at that time. There's no, I mean, my dad was a pastor and I had no desire at all to be a pastor. <laughs> yeah, at all. I, I at understand, all. Josh. That, that's a bit. I want to be a pastor. Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, God was still moving me in that direction towards the nation, towards the margin. Right. Um, and it really just came from this word and time with him as God started to speak to me. And then you find different speakers and pastors and mentors and books that kind of like mold you and form you in that direction. And then I found myself out here at this church and this position opened and it was just perfect for like what I was passionate about doing, what I sensed God was calling me to do. And it all just kind of fell together in God's, God's plan. Good. Well, so. God led you through through various experiences, primarily through his word, to the point where you were interested in in extending God's kingdom 
especially in the marginal areas of, of our society and world. So then as that journey developed, Josh, what what is you and as a pastor now, what is your vision for how the church should equip its people to reach out? Yeah, um, I think now, I think every pastor has to know their, their time um, and what God is saying to the church in their time, in their place, and in their context. So I'm going to speak as I talk through what I think the church needs to be thinking about and doing. It's very contextual, I think, um, in particular for my tribe, the evangelical church, at this time in the 21st century in America, and what I think God is calling the church to do. Okay. And I think a huge... Yeah, so just, just, that's just, you know, I don't—it's going to be different, but I think that just call, calls each one of us to know God's Word and know our culture and know our context um, and hear His voice speaking to us in our culture and our context. But for the American Church, the Evangelical Church now, I think there is a huge call to, um, to reconciliation. And to be the hands and feet of Jesus, uh, to me, is to go to the margins, and this is to mostly, like, predominantly, like, uh, maybe more white and affluent evangelical churches, and not just to go to the margins and serve, although I think that's a great starting point, but I think the call is actually to be with and to be family, to where the poor and the rich are one as family, black and white mm-hmm. are one as family, mm-hmm. healthy and disabled are one as family. If you look into our churches, I think you see um, uh, you see a lot of division, you know, I think racism is rampant in a lot of our churches, and I think that God is calling us to to be reconciled, and uh, not just reconciled with uh, with other believers, although that's a huge piece of it. If we're supposed to be a witness to a world that is divided and that is broken, I mean, if you look at politics now, my goodness, um, whether or not you're Democrat or Republican, and whether or not you love Donald Trump or you dislike Donald Trump, um, you see division. I Am I not supposed to, to ask you where you are in that spectrum? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll keep that between me and you. Both. Okay, um, all right. Yeah, you're not supposed to ask that question. That'll, that'll derail us. That'll okay, derail us. all right. Okay. Uh, but whether or not, you know, wherever you're at on that spectrum, I think the Church has to be one. And that, to me, in our context, in our time, there is a vision that the world is longing to see, and it's unity in the midst of diversity, people that really come from different cultural backgrounds, have really different political views, do not understand one another when it comes to the context that they come from, but they link together as family in Jesus within okay. the center. Well, Jonathan, how do you go about accomplishing that as pastor of the churches that you're pastoring? How does how does that happen? What what are some of the mechanisms, yeah. the, the the way that that happens? Yeah, so Bob, as you and I have discussed before, I think uh, the primary means that most of the time, when I talk to somebody about reconciliation or uh, having friendship with people that are across a division, whatever that division might be, normally the first thing that people want is like a, a resource, like a book. You know, can you give me a book? Can you give me a training? Um so I tried to build off that and say, okay, if people want a training, and training matters. You know, I think you know you have curriculum and you walk people through that curriculum and you train them. I do the same thing, and that matters. But I want there to be at the heartbeat of the training, there has to be relationship. 
at the center of it, towards okay. actually flesh on flesh, life on life. So to answer your question, one of the things that I've done is created training with other other leaders in the Valley called One Family. And this is what I just said before, um, trying to be one family across dividing lines, bridging the gap between division and, and the American church. There's a book people walk through. There's articles that people read through. They're around the table with people discussing it. But at the heartbeat of that training, it's challenging people, and there's experiences built in to where people have to be at the table. Um, that's why it's called the Neighbors, tra- neighbors, neighbors Table Training. It's called One Family, a Neighbors Table Training. And at the heartbeat of it is actually being at the table with neighbors that you don't have a relationship with. So if you look into your, and once again, this is all contextualized. So if your environment is highly racially diverse and you're in a white church, then we call people to sit at the table with your black neighbor. If you're um, in a context that is has huge economic disparity and you're in a wealthy church, we would call people to sit at the table and be in relationship with neighbors that uh, are of a different economic level than them. So when and you talk about calm. when when you talk about table is that that's more than a metaphor. That's a reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're inviting yeah, people literally yeah. to a table where they exactly, sit yeah, around and build relationships with people that they normally wouldn't have contact with. Yeah, and I think to us we we use an acronym called the blessed rhythm. Um, B-L-E-S-S, and that's for bless, listen, eat, speak, and Sabbath. And most of the time... Say say that again. Spell that out again so we can get that. Yeah, it's bless. It's uh, the bless rhythms, and it's kind of like rhythms of life. And you say B is for bless, L is for listen, E is for eat, S is for speak, and S is for Sabbath. Sabbath meaning like rest. And I, what I, I like the to, I like to eat part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, and I think most people like to eat. So at at the table, I mean, do you, do you actually do this around a meal? Yeah. So the heartbeat of it is a meal. I was a theologian that I appreciate named Mark Glanville that says Jesus ate his way through the Gospels. I like that. And I love it. And I think uh, one of the most confrontational moments that Jesus had with Pharisees, it wasn't just his words, although his words, as we see with religious rulers and religious elites, his words were confronting, but his relationships as well were confronting. The people that he allowed to sit at his feet, the people that he ate with, the people that he spent his time with, the people that he touched, the people that he saw, there was a moment where Jesus was inviting Pharisees to sit at the table, and have a literal meal, not a metaphorical meal. No, come and eat a literal meal. Right, but if you come right. to the meal, if you yes. come to the table and have a literal meal, you're going to come with tax collectors. You're going to come with sinners. You're going to come with women of the city. You're going to come with the poor, and they're at the table as well. Right, and, and, that and those for, those weren't yeah. the people that the Pharisees were were used to sitting down and eating with. Mm, no, <laughs> those were not the people. Yes, absolutely <laughs> no, not. They, not. they must have been shocked. Yeah. You know, when Jesus yeah. invited them to sit down at the table, and then they saw who was there. That, uh, yeah, and it, and it wasn't just, and that's where I say there has to be a mutual benefiting relationship. It wasn't, and this is where when I talk about reconciliation and not just doing for or going to the margins and serving, I think that 
the American church is used to going to the poor and doing something for the poor. They're used mm. to going to the margins mm. and doing something to the margins. Right. But what Jesus, I think, was calling the Pharisees into was actually like uh, mutually benefiting relationships. I'm thinking of Simon and the woman of the city. When Jesus is with Simon the Pharisee, mm. and the woman of the city comes, and she breaks open the bottle, pours it on Jesus' feet. She's just a mess, sobbing at his feet, tears all over his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. And Simon is disgusted by the whole moment. And Jesus doesn't just, oh, he's just absolutely disgusted by the whole moment. But what Jesus does is he doesn't just say, um, oh, you need to see her. Although he does. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? But he actually exalts her as the example to learn from. Wow. And says, you need to learn, Simon, from this woman. Wow. The Pharisee needs to learn from. Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah, so for, that's for, what we say, that the table is an equalizer. The right. table can be a great equalizer when everybody sitting at the table, drinking from the same glass, eating from the same dish, we can equalize. Amen. Uh, for those who have just tuned in, you're listening to Stories of the Kingdom, and I'm Bob Moffitt with the Harvest Foundation, and we're interviewing Josh Prather, who is pastor of uh, Community and Global Missions for Redemption Church, which has about 10 congregations are those congregations here all here in the valley, Josh, or are they elsewhere? There is one in Flagstaff, one in Tucson, and then uh, the farthest reaches are one in Peoria and one in Gateway, the Williams Gateway okay. area. Okay, all right. Well, you've been telling us um, about your vision for the table and— um, yeah. And the blessing of the of the table, the bless of the table, uh, are the yes. components of how the table works. Could you give us some examples um, of literally how the, how does this how does this work out? Yeah, yeah. So let me give you the the good. I think that uh, within the American church, there is a heartbeat of generosity that they want to. They want to give. And okay. I, when I speak, once again, I'm speaking about my tribe, you know, because the American church now, and I say America, there's Latino churches, there's black churches, there's refugee churches. It's very diverse. So and I'm, I'm talking about normally like the, the white evangelical church that I pastor in and that uh, I grew up in. So that's when I say the American church. That's what I'm referring to. Has, there's a heartbeat of generosity and wanting to give, which I think is is beautiful. But there's not always a desire to learn. So mm-hmm. when I've spent time, this is getting to your question, is what actually have I done? When I spend time overseas, well, I've traveled the world, and I've traveled the world, and I see pastors that are um, spirit-filled, they're prayerful, and they, they are seeing in their nations incredible moves of God, incredible moves of the Spirit. Um, they're just seeing God do amazing things, things that I don't see too often here in the U.S. And most of the time when the evangelical church travels abroad, or goes and visits their pastor next door that might be from another nation. It's not always to learn, it's normally to give. Mm-hmm. Hey, we want to give something away. Right. And what I'm trying to do is try to turn that a little bit to where the American church sees they have something to learn. So in our city, this is once again is contextual, we have a ton of different pastors from Latin America, Africa, and Asia. They've come here as immigrants, they've come here for better chances and opportunities in America for their family. But yes. they bring with them this incredible heritage of prayerfulness, of um, perseverance. A lot of them have suffered abroad. 
a lot of them have been persecuted abroad. They've been in jail. You know, the Ethiopian pastor I'm thinking of right now, um, who's become a close friend to when Ethiopia was under communism, you know, suffered greatly under communism. He, so he knows what it is to, like, lead an underground church, right. to suffer for the faith, to be persecuted. These are things that most of us haven't had to endure. And he's here in our city. So what I've done is, over the few years, this is once again just my passion, is I've gotten to know probably 50 of these pastors. Right. Just in our city, that are right here in Phoenix. Gathered them together in something I call the Daniel Initiative with a vision of equipping, or with a vision of seeing, the next generation of international multicultural leaders leading churches in Phoenix. So we get together, we pray together, we eat together, and what I do and how I actually try to equip our pastors, is uh, the pastors at Redemption Church and other evangelical pastors in the Valley, I will invite them into those environments to sit at the table with their pastor, with pastors in their city from Honduras, from Nigeria, from Ethiopia, from Brazil, and hear their stories, learn from their experiences, and see what it is to be in a worship service sometimes that is fully spirit-filled and prayerful. Right. Bob, you and I have talked about this before as well. Um, you know, uh, I learned how to pray from the majority world church, Latin America, Africa, and Asia. I didn't learn how to pray in the American church. I learned how to read my Bible. I learned how to study my Bible and know my Bible in the, in the Western church. But to be fully dependent on God to build His church— and to pursue God with relentless devotion, I learned from the Majority World Church. Wow. So I'll bring, I'll bring pastors um, from our churches into these environments with international pastors, yes. you know, that to them, to pray all night, to pray four or five hours, to worship all night, that's, I mean... That's hard for an evangelical. That is hard work for an evangelical. Yeah, our well, services are usually 45 minutes to an hour and a half. Five That's hours? Right. All no, night? All night, five hours, all night prayer. And it's just normal for them. That's like part of their rhythm, part of their rhythm of life. You know? Right. That's how they are used to functioning. Um, so to bring our pastors into those environments, to sit with these pastors, to learn from these pastors, that. And once again, to break bread with these pastors and hear their stories, hear their persecution, hear their devotion. You know, there's a few stories that stand out to me that, like, were, were pretty life-changing. I remember being in Ethiopia, one of my first trips um, abroad as a pastor, like, leading people abroad. Yeah. Um, and I've been reading some books that really challenged me and how to work with the Majority World Church. And I'm sitting down with a pastor, um, and he's talking to me about what he's done, and he's talking to me about the things that he's seen God do, and he leads a network probably, or at the time he did, now he's since moved positions, but he was leading a network of about 300 churches, all mostly from conversion, you know, which where he saw God's Spirit fall on people, they were saved, so none, none by a transfer from other churches, these are right. people that have received the Spirit of God and been converted through his ministry. He's seen his friends suffer and die for the faith because he left the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, and suffer and a lot of he suffered for his faith. Right, being evangelical, being spirit filled, his friends suffered for their faith. And I'm sitting down, I'm having a conversation with him. He's sharing these stories of persecution, of suffering, of 
church planting and seeing the Spirit of God move in great ways. I'm 25. I've just become a pastor. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm trying <laughs> to figure figure out what I'm doing. Right. And I'm sitting there thinking, who's who's here to give? And I remember having this moment, like, is, am, am I here to give to this guy, or is this guy here to give to me wow. and, like, disciple me? Like, wow. who's here to disciple who? Yes. Um, but he looked at it, you know. Um, but as he's sharing the story, it was just kind of like this, you know, dawning on me, like, we have just as much to learn from these pastors in the majority world as we do to give to them. Now, eventually, I think the ultimate sweet spot is, like, mutually benefiting relationships where, you know, back right. and forth, you learn and you give to one another. Right. But right now, I think the place the American church is at is we're accustomed to giving, we're accustomed to doing, um, but we're not accustomed to receiving and learning. Mm-hmm. So I, I push heavy on that side of the scale, um, especially when it comes to the majority world church and when it comes to sitting around the table. So when you I push inv- really hard on the learning. So Josh, when when you invite you know people from the churches here to go um, on a on a short term missions outreach. How do you help them to understand that they're that they're not going to paint uh, the walls of a school, but they're going to learn? Yeah, I I try to reframe it, um, and this once again, if if you want, and this is where it's the slow and steady, I think drip. I'll say slow and steady drip of the kingdom because uh, people love to go and do something, yes, and they love to. You know, but to go and learn and to go and be discipled. Why would I do that? Why would I do that? So, yeah. if you're looking for like large numbers, this is not, <laughs> this is not the strategy, right? But if you're looking mm-hmm. for like healthy disciples, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's a good strategy. Amen. Um, but I, I call them global discipleship trips. Okay. Oh, um, good. So not, I don't, not a, so not a I mission serving trip. Yeah, so I call them global discipleship trips, and the primary vision of the trip is that the people that are going are the main focus, and it's developing them and their discipleship. Okay. Because uh, what what you find in my experience, again, this is contextual to my experience and my relationships, is what I found is that uh, teams that go, oftentimes they're not that much of, they get a ton out of it. The people that go can learn a lot. They, they can really grow in their faith. I've grown a ton from short-term trips in college. That's how I came to fall in love with the nations. But the people they're actually going to do something for or serve, oftentimes um, it's not always a huge blessing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes it, it can be more challenging right. for the people that they're going to serve. So um, if you do it well, I think it can really, it can be a benefit when you're going to serve and going to do something abroad. I think it can be a benefit. However, I think primarily in my experience, the people that are the most impacted are the people that go, the people that go on the trips. It's not the people that are actually served abroad, because as we know, Bob, like the long-term steady presence of the local church is what transforms communities. Okay, Josh, we've only got about a, a minute and a half. I would like you to to give an example um, uh, of how that might have worked right here. How did that, without doing a a, you know cross cultural international missions trip, uh, shortly? Do do you have any stories to tell us about um, how that might work here in the city? Yes, 
Yeah. So there's a right now a revival movement of three different networks. I'll try to say this quick. Three different networks, all international or minority led. And I just had there was a revival meeting uh, a few months ago, and I invited a few people from our congregations that grew up in more, um, I'll say, tame evangelical churches that aren't used to charismatic, yeah, we've spirit-filled. You've got less than a minute, Josh. Yeah, so bringing people into those environments to where they can experience the presence of God, experience what it is to pray, sit next to their African neighbors, and be formed in those moments. Mm has been powerful for me, and then process it with them. So people have to have a desire to learn from minorities and from the margins. Josh, thank you so much. Um, And for those of you uh, who are interested in what we're talking about, join us next week, and we'll have another interview to understand how others in our valley are becoming the hands and feet of Jesus. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their community. Today's testimony of God's love not only inspires us, but now we ask God how he wants us to demonstrate his love in a similar way with others in the church towards our neighbors. Also consider sharing the kingdom and its story with others through the media tab at harvestfoundation.org.